Good morning, everybody. I hope y'all are doing well. I'm glad you made it out despite any ice or possible snow that you had. I've heard some people had to shovel snow in order to get here today. But I'm so glad that you're here. I'm so excited that I get to lead worship and worship with you guys today, all right? So why don't we stand and we'll worship together. You called my name and I ran out of that grave, out of the darkness, into your glorious day. Yeah, you called my name, and I ran out of that grave, out of the darkness. Into your glorious day. I was buried beneath my shame. Who could carry that kind of weight? It was my tomb till I met you. I was breathing but not alive. All my failures I tried. Till I met you when you, you called my name. Into your glory. 
Come needed rescue, my sin was heavy. The chains break at the weight of your glory. I needed shelter, I was an orphan. But you call me a citizen of heaven. When I was broken, you were my healing. Your love is the air that I'm breathing. I have a future. My eyes are open, cause when you called my name, I ran out of that grave, out of the darkness, into your glorious day, you called my name.
a place where mercy reigns and never dies. And there's a place where streams of grace flow deep and Comes like a flood, comes flowing down. At the cross, at the cross, I surrender my life. I'm in awe of you. I'm in awe of you. Where your love ran red and my sin washed white. I owe all to you, I owe all to you, Jesus. Stand and join us in worship this morning. There's a place where sin and shame are powerless. There my heart has peace with God and forgiveness. For all the love I've ever found comes like a flood, comes flowing down. At the cross, I surrender my life. I'm in awe of you. I'm in awe of you. Where your love ran red and my sin washed white, I owe all to you. I owe all to you. Here my hope is found. Here on holy ground here i bow down here i bow down here arms open wide here you save my life here i bow down here i bow at the cross at the cross i surrender my life i'm in all of you I'm in all of you, where your love ran red and my sin washed white. I owe all to you, 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 Jesus, Savior of the world. God we serve, that he would send his son, he would send his son um, to the cross to die for us. 
it's so amazing when you just think about the gospel and how complex yet how simple it is. Um, just enter into the throne room of worship with us today and just bow at the feet of Jesus for what he has done and just worship him this morning.
you've done for your for your blood flowing on that cross out of love we can't do anything to repay that but god we're going to live our lives every day trying to god we love you and we're so grateful that you came and that all we have to do is believe in you and we are restored into your kingdom god we just love you and we thank you for the wonderful things that you're doing in our hearts, in our lives, and in our world, God. Thank you. Be in this place this morning. And it's in your holy name that we pray. Amen. A series of sermons on Sunday mornings from the book of Galatians. If you have your Bible, I invite you to turn uh, with me to there. Let me give you just a little background. If you're new with us today, we're glad you're here. Let me catch you up a little bit. The book of Galatians is a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to the churches at Galatia. On his first missionary journey, Paul went through what is today's central Turkey. It was then the province of Galatia. Founded the churches of Iconium, Lystra, Derby. You can read about that in Acts chapter 14. After he got back home to Antioch, he learned that some false teachers had come uh, to Galatia and were teaching uh, a perversion of the gospel. They were saying that in order to be saved, you had to believe in Jesus, but you also had to be circumcised. They were adding works of the law to faith in Christ as a requirement for salvation. So Paul wrote this letter of Galatians to the churches at Galatia to defend the gospel 
of salvation by faith. We've, last week we saw that Paul defended his credentials, his apostleship, the foundation of the gospel, and now we come to the heart of the letter, the key verse in the letter, Galatians 2.16. And if there's one verse you want to underline in the book of Galatians, I think this is the verse that comes the closest to summing up uh, the message of the book of Galatians. Galatians 2.16 says, A person is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. So we too have put our faith in Christ Jesus, that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law, because by the works of the law, no one will be justified. Do you hear in that sentence, in that verse, that Paul repeats the same sentence three times? If you didn't get it the first time, he tells it to you a second. If you didn't get it the second time, he tells you a third. Three times in that one verse, he repeats that simple sentence. So there's three key words in this verse and in the book. They're repeated three times here. Those three key words are, first of all, justified. What does that mean? Justified means to be square or to be even or to be right. So when we talk about being justified with God, are we square with God? How do you get right with God? How do you get even with God? And what the Bible tells us is that none of us is justified. None of us is right with God. None of us is square with God. None of us is even with God. In fact, we're the opposite of that. We're condemned, uh, to use the uh, common words in uh, our legal system, because the word justification came from their legal system. In ours, we say guilty or not guilty. How do you find the defendant? We find him guilty or not guilty. So let's put a little graphic up here that sort of gets the idea. We're all condemned. We're all guilty. How do you move from condemnation to justification? How do you move from guilty to not guilty? What do you put in this blank? What's the bridge that could answer this biggest question in the human condition? How can I be right with God? I'm condemned. I'm guilty. How can I be declared not guilty? What are we going to put in that blank? Well, the first answer, the answer of all world religions except biblical Christianity, is that you put some form of works in that blank. That is, to be right with God, you need to do something. Somehow you need to make up for the bad things that you've done to try to be even or square or right with God. All of the major religions answer this question by putting some form of human effort or law-keeping or work in that equation. Uh, for example, in uh, Buddhism, you follow the Eightfold Noble Path of self-attainment. Do you hear that word? Self-attainment? That might lead you uh, to heaven. In Hinduism... There's an endless cycle of reincarnation that you must go through. But if you follow the way of devotion and the way of works, you hear that word? Then perhaps you can be released from those cycles of incarnation and be reabsorbed into God. In Islam, the way to be right with God is to surrender to Him and to follow the five pillars of Islam. And if you feast at Ramadan, say the prayer five times a day and go on a pilgrimage once a, a, in your lifetime and give alms. You hear all of these answers are about works. And in popular religion in America, 
what do they put in this question? You need to go to church, at least on Easter. You give some money. You try to be good citizen, be a good person, and you're a Christian. You get to heaven. You hear all of those answers are works-based answers. But what the New Testament says and what this key verse in Galatians says is our second key word that's three times in this verse is faith. And the correct answer to put in this blank, the only working bridge between condemnation and justification is faith in Jesus. And here's what separates Christianity from all other world religions. Maybe you've had somebody ask you or you will have some time in your life What's the difference between Christianity and other religions? Don't all religions, aren't they all about the same? Don't they all have part of the truth? Uh, don't, aren't we all trying to get to the same place? And you've got your path, and maybe it's good for you, and I've got my path. Sometimes you're going to encounter something like that. What do you say? Do you know what to say? Here's what you say. The difference in all religions is that all other religions in biblical Christianity tell us what we must do to measure up to be saved. And Christianity says you can't measure up to be saved, but God has done something for you. It's a difference in doing and what's been done, that Christ has died in our place to take our penalty, and all we must do is believe in Him. Or to put it another way, all other religions are reaching up toward God, and Christianity is reaching down toward man. That's your fundamental difference. All other religions are some way that you can achieve nirvana or righteousness or heaven or paradise, but Christianity is you can never achieve that, but you can receive that. It is a gift of God by His grace received by simply putting your faith in Jesus. So faith in Jesus is not a work like these others. It's simply receiving a free gift. If you'll believe in Jesus, that is the way to move from condemnation to justification. That's the difference in Christianity and all other religions. And and this is the only source of security. Do you see why this is good news? All other religions, if I have to do stuff, how do I know if I've ever done enough? Maybe I should have spun that prayer wheel a few more times. Maybe I should have put more food on the altar to my ancestors. How do I know that I have done enough? There's no security. There's no peace because I have to try to keep making up for what I've done. But in Christianity, there is peace. There's security because it's not based on my effort. It's based upon the effort of God. And I'm receiving what He has done by putting my faith in Jesus. Isn't that wonderful good news that brings us such assurance to sinners? Now, there's another possibility. Let's see the next slide. And here's what they were the false teachers at Galatia were doing. They were saying to move from condemnation to justification. Yes, you have to believe in Jesus, but you also have to do something else. So they were adding some works to faith in Jesus. They were saying, yes, to to be saved or to be justified, you do have to believe in Jesus, but you've also got to be circumcised. You've also got to keep the Old Testament law. You have to obey the Ten Commandments and the law of Moses, and they were adding that to it. And what Paul has said, we've seen earlier in this letter, is that that gospel is no gospel at all. It ceases to be good news. You put works back in the equation. He's saying it doesn't just tweak it, it radically perverts. That's his word in 
in chapter 1. It perverts the gospel. So you see, this is what the cults do. This is what Mormonism does and Jehovah's Witnesses do. They add works to that faith in Jesus. That's people sometimes say, why don't you, why don't you like uh, Mormonism? Uh, why don't you equate it the same way you would with Methodist or Church of God or whatever? Because of this very element right here. Mormons have some wonderful morals. They do a lot of good things. But their message is a painted gospel that combines faith in Jesus with other things that you have to do to reach justification. And that's why it's not part of the central Christian message. It's just what was happening at Galatia. And, and so you can't put anything in that equation with faith in Jesus, any kind of human effort that is, and for it still be true to the Bible. Or some groups want to put baptism in there where you've got to believe in Jesus and you have to be baptized to be saved. Hey, I believe in baptism. I'm a Baptist. My very name says baptism. I believe in it. I believe every Christian ought to be baptized. But where you put that, let me show you the next slide, is as a result of justification, not as that requirement. The same thing with works. I believe you ought to be working for Jesus. I believe in obedience to the gospel and the Ten Commandments. I believe you ought to be living a life of righteousness. But that results from justification. It is not a requirement for it. And you say, well, does that really make much difference? I still got to be baptized. Does it matter where you put it on your little chart up there? Yes, it matters a whole lot. Because it is radically different if it's a result, a response to the free gift, or if it is a requirement that I must add my efforts to measure up to it. Now, the criticism might be, well, if this is how you're justified, then why be good? Doesn't this promote sin? Why don't I just leave off this last part? Because there's no impetus for that, no motivation for it. Why don't I just live like I want to and do anything I want to because I'm saved by grace through faith alone. That You said all that equals justification. That's what verse 17 is about. Look in the very next verse. After we've spent a lot of time on our key verse, verse 16, look at verse 17. And I think that's what some of these Galatian false teachers were saying. They were saying, Paul, this gospel that's by faith in Jesus alone, it promotes sin. Look what he says. He's sort of quoting them, verse 17. But if in seeking to be justified in Christ, we Jews find ourselves also among the sinners, doesn't that mean that Christ promotes sin? That is, if we Jews who keep the law are no better, we still can't attain righteousness, if, if we find ourselves among sinners, doesn't it say that this way promotes sin? That's the criticism, and you may have thought that or heard that. Here's Paul's response. Absolutely not. Last part of verse 17. If I rebuild what I destroyed, then I really would be a lawbreaker. He says this, you don't rebuild legalism or a law to try to solve that problem. But here's the difference. Here's the response to that. Here's why this gospel does not pr promote sin. Because when we believe in Jesus, we are changed. Yes, it's a gift that you receive, 
but it is a gift that when you receive it will change you. If a young man gives a young woman an engagement ring and she receives that gift, isn't that going to change her life when she receives that gift? It's a free gift, but it changes you, doesn't it, when you receive that? The same way here. When you receive the gift of salvation by I believe in Jesus, it changes you. Paul shares that in verses 19 and 20. He shares his personal testimony. For through the law, I died to the law so that I might live for God. Verse 20, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So when we believe in Jesus, we're changed. We die to our old life, and now Christ lives in us. So here's the change that takes place when you receive this gift. You're joined to Jesus, and spiritually you participate in his crucifixion. I have, I've died. There's a break to my old life. I'm not going to continue in that life of sin anymore because I've died. This is wh- wh- why we baptize people by immersion. It depicts this. I have been crucified with Christ, and it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. I participate in his resurrection. And so the change is that now Jesus, when I receive this gift, he comes into me and gives me power, and he helps me, and he produces new desires. And so the, the way that this produces obedience and good works is I have different desires when I receive the gift of salvation. Now, the old desires are still there. I'm still a sinner. I still want to gossip. I still am tempted to lust. I still am tempted to be self-centered. But I have new and stronger desires because Christ is in me. And through the process of sanctification, those old desire, new desires can overwhelm those old. That's why Paul says, the life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And you say, does that work? Does it, when you receive this free gift of salvation, does it really produce obedience? Yes, it really works. Many of you are testimony to that. Christians through the ages have been testimony that the free gift of salvation received by faith does produce obedience change that legalism and guilt can never produce. Paul is saying your system won't produce the righteousness of God, but only when Christ comes into me by faith. And he says in verse 21, the last verse, I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing. So if you ever say, Aren't all religions about the same? We're all, we're, we're all trying to get to the same place, and, and it, you've got different ways. This is what Paul says you're really saying to Jesus. You're saying to Jesus, you died for nothing. Because if there were other ways to be saved, and there's just a lot of other paths, and everybody picks their own, he could have stayed in heaven. He wasted his himself coming to die for us. If the... Uh, If I set aside the grace of God, if righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing. And you're saying, Jesus, waste of time for you to die on the cross because we could have gotten there without you. There are other ways. But there is no other way. And that's why he came and died. And his death was not in vain because it was our only hope 
of salvation. And the only way to be justified is not by human effort, but by faith in Jesus. Throughout church history, the church has had to come back to Galatians and to this truth over and over again. It happened in the Middle Ages that Christianity sort of lost touch with the Bible. Hard for us to understand that. The Bible's central to our experience. But Christianity lost touch with the Bible. It wasn't read. It wasn't preached. It wasn't studied much. And Christianity drifted back into that works kind of righteousness where if you did things, you could atone for your sin. If you do penance, if you... Uh, uh, if you do things to make up for what you've done. And there were indulgences that when you sinned, you could give an offering, and your offering would make up for what you'd done. And then it got so corrupt, so bad, that you could buy an indulgence in advance. That if you thought you were going to sin, you just went ahead and bought the indulgence, and you'd be good to go then when you sinned in the future. How far from biblical Christianity? In this context, there was a young monk named Martin Luther, and he tried to be right with God through this way. He tried to be justified by the things he did, and he had a very sensitive conscience, and so he would wonder, have I ever done enough? And he would go to confession, and he would confess his sins for six hours, trying to think of everything, so that if he thought of everything and confessed everything, maybe he'd be right with God. He would fast for days on end. Maybe this would please God. He would lie awake at night, and he would throw all the covers off on a cold night like last night and, and punish himself and make himself suffer so that maybe uh, through his self-suffering he could be right with God. And, of course, none of that brought him satisfaction or peace because the works of the law never bring that kind of satisfaction. And he about drove himself crazy trying to be right with God, almost had a nervous breakdown. And then he was assigned to be a Bible teacher. And in 1513, he taught the book of Psalms. And in 1514, he taught the book of Romans. And in 1515 through 1516, he taught the book of Galatians. And the light went on in his life. And he understood that all his self-attainment efforts were never going to bring about the righteousness of God, but that Jesus had done what was needed, and it's by faith in Jesus alone that we receive justification that we cannot achieve. And he experienced joy and peace, and he shared his findings on the church door at Wittenberg in 1517, what we call the beginning of the Reformation, and the church was reformed because of this young man who rediscovered this passage that we've just read today, and he would later write, he, was mar he got married later when he figured out that was okay, to uh, a nun named Katie Von Bora, and so he would later write, this book, Galatians, is my wife. I have betrothed myself to it. It is my Katie Von Bora, he would say. Because this message had meant so much to him. It was so close to his heart. He who had struggled to find acceptance by God on his own and finally found it by simple faith in Jesus. Maybe you're like Martin Luther. Maybe you've 
been trying to make up for some bad things that you've done. Maybe you've done some things in the past and you are carrying a load of guilt and you, you, you want to you make up for it. Or maybe you've been trying to be a good person. You think that's what this matter of religion is about and I've been trying to be good because being good will get me to heaven, give me relief from my guilty conscience. And the message of Galatians is that that will not work and you may find yourself like Martin Luther and come to see there's nothing that you can do that would be enough, but God in His goodness and grace has done something for you by sending His own Son, and if it, you will receive Him as Savior, if you'll believe in Him, those two phrases mean the same thing, then you can be justified based on His work, not on your work, and that's the good news of Christianity. And when you receive that free gift, it will change you and He will change your desires and you will be able to give the testimony of Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ. And it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. Let's pray together. Right now, with our heads bowed, is there anything you need to say to God? Maybe you're a Christian, and you got saved by believing in Him, and now you are trying to get free of some guilt for things you've done by making it up, and you just need to receive the grace of God and reaffirm your faith in Jesus and receive righteousness and forgiveness. It may be that you've never accepted Christ. You've been misled. You've been trying to get right with God or get to heaven by what you could do. And you see the futility of it. Would you cast yourself on the grace of God and say, Jesus, I just, I believe in you and I receive what you've done. Oh God, may we know the joy and the security that comes from based upon what you have done, not what we might do. I pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Would you stand together with me? Today, if you want to receive Jesus, you want to believe in Him, it's a free gift. It'll change you. And you're willing to be baptized three weeks from the day. We'll have another baptism. Would you come forward today and share that openly and publicly and unashamedly? Just walk down one of these aisles while we're singing the song, Meet Me Here, and, and I'll share that with our church. We'll rejoice with you. A decision council will answer any questions you have. Maybe you need a church home. I'd invite you to join our church this morning. If God speaks to your heart, would you respond? Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me I once was lost but now I'm found was blind but now I see Twas grace that taught my heart to fear and gave 
Is my fears released? How precious did that grace appear? The hour I first believed. And chains are gone, I've been set free. God, my Savior, has ransomed me, and like a flood, His mercy reigns, unending love, amazing grace. The promised good to me, his word my hope secures, he will my shield and portion be, as long as life endures, my chains are gone, I've been set free, my God, my Savior has ransomed me, and like a flood, his mercy reigns, unending Thank you. Would you be seated, please, for just a moment more? We're going to give our offerings now in response to God. We give back to Him in gratitude and love. And if you're guests, you can place your guest card there as well. I'll be at the Welcome Center after this service is over. If you're a first-time guest, I'd love to meet you. I have a small gift uh, for you. So stop by the Welcome Center on your way out. Love to see you there. Thank you, Allison. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for the gift that you've given us.
also our church partners with Life Choices Pregnancy Center, a ministry here in Manchester. And uh, you have a uh, bookmark in your bulletin that has contact information if the Lord leads you to volunteer, to be involved in this ministry. Uh, What a a great way to serve Christ. Um, This is the anniversary of the uh, Supreme Court decision, Roe v. Wade, that legalized abortion in our country. And so it's a good time for us to just spend a moment in prayer uh, for our nation that we would come to respect human life. Uh, When you think of the leading causes of death in America, the third leading cause of death in America is cancer. And I'm grateful for people who are working hard to try to reduce that and eliminate that terrible cause of death. Over 500,000 Americans die by cancer each year. Second leading cause of death in America is heart disease. And uh, people are doing a lot to try to reduce that death rate. Over 600,000 people die from heart disease. It's a leading cause of death in America. It's something that has an even greater potential to be preventable. Over 900,000, almost a million people in America die by abortion each year. The leading cause of death in America. And I'm just praying that our culture will change, that we will see that uh, for what it is, and we'll turn from that. I'm grateful that our younger generation, you know we talk badly about those millennials a lot. You know, those millennials, you know they're far more pro-life than the rest of us. There's hope for our nation. There's a rising tide of a generation that says life is sacred and to be respected. I'm praying that that tide will rise in our nation. We're going to pray about that as we go. Thank you for being here, being a part of our, our fellowship today. Uh, let's bow together in prayer to close our service, please. Oh, Father in heaven, we thank you for the gift of life and the gift of eternal life, and we want to just pause now and pray for Life Choices Pregnancy Center in our community, for Nancy Simpson, a member of our church who is site director here in Manchester, and we want to pray on a larger scale for our, our nation. Lord, I pray for our leaders that you would stir within them conviction and courage. Uh, Lord, uh, frankly, I see little of that now. So I pray even more for this generation that is coming up because politicians will change when the culture changes, when there's a rising tide of respect for life. So stir in our hearts to have a biblical view of life and sanctity of it, and we pray you'd change our nation as you've changed our hearts. May your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. You called my name And I ran out of that grave Out of the darkness Into your glorious day You called my name And I ran out of that grave To your glorious day. It's not working. <laughs> <laughs>